Can we put up that slide, please? And Isaac Watts, in 1707, he writes this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, saving death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose such rich a crown? His dying crimson, like the robe, spreads over his body on the tree. Then I am dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. With a whole realm of nature mine, that were at present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. What a moment, friends, that we can come together as a family that know him and possibly you here this morning that you're seeking, that you know, you don't know him yet. We get this morning as a body in faith, believing for you. And after this day, this moment, we can introduce you to the King of all glory. Love so divine. That as George spoke in the beginning, in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to read Isaiah 53 before I get into my message this morning. From Isaiah 52, verse 13, it says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle the nations, and the kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up like him, like a tender shoot, and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Yet he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain, and he bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed." We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a, she a sheep before its shearers is silent. He did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished." He was assigned to the grave of the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life as, a sin off as an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, 
and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils of the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Friends, if you haven't studied Isaiah 52, 53, 54, and 55, today and this weekend is a profound time and a real moment to do that. You get to see and experience the vastness and the greatness of his love for you and I. This morning what I want to speak on is actually what happened within the six hours of when Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. and he died at 3 p.m. and at 12 p.m. the darkness covered the earth. But there were seven things that Jesus said during that time. And I want to share that with us in a, in a, in a package that you and I can take this out and we can go and share it with others. It's a great exchange, friends. This moment when Jesus was on the cross, a great exchange and a transaction took place where the innocent one became guilty so the guilty ones could be made innocent before his presence. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13 verse 20 says this is an eternal covenant that was made in his blood. An eternal covenant that's never ending, it's never replaced, it's never added to, it's perfect because Christ becomes the new covenant on our behalf. In 2 Corinthians 5.18 it says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That God was in Christ, reconciling you and I back to himself, not counting our sins against us. Hebrews 9 says this about the, the sacrifice, and I just want to say this. You know, God is perfect in his ways and his designs and everything relating to when Jesus went to the cross. 9 a.m. on that day was the morning sacrifice. And Jesus at 9 a.m. became the fulfillment of every single sacrifice that had ever been offered. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of time, with the first sacrifices in Genesis up until this moment, the final sacrifice of every single sacrifice that had ever been offered once and for all. Hebrews 9.26 says this, He has appeared once for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 10, 12, it says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So go and study it, friends. Go and look through the Gospels. Go and renew your love and your passion. Well, God has to imagine us going back to that place where we met him for the first time and we became convinced In Luke 23, verse 34, we see the first account. The first thing that Jesus said is on the cross, he's been beaten, he's been marred, he's been disfigured, and he says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Now, Jesus said this after he was betrayed by one of his closest for money. He was arrested and beaten by temple soldiers. He was interrogated. He was tried with false evidence against him, denied by one of his best friends, questioned by Pontius and Herod, whipped, beaten, unrecognizable, condemned to death, mocked with a crown of thorns, carried his own cross, stripped, nailed to a cross, hanging on the cross, looking down, saying these words, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. I had an opportunity this week in preparation on Wednesday, I had my message fully prepared. I was enjoying, I was enjoying the favor of God. I was enjoying my friends. I was preparing this message. Uh, we're getting the opportunity to take my mom away for her 80th birthday. Whole family's getting together, and we're taking on a little ship next week, and we've saved up the whole year, and we've planned this, and I print the tickets out, and I'm going to go and look for my passports, and my passports have been stolen at my office. With all my travel documents, my children's passports, everything's gone. And in that moment, I've got a choice to make. I see the security footage. I see the man walking out my office with my suitcase. I've got a choice to make. So I know that I know that I know that I've dealt with things in my own heart this morning. Because when I, when I first experienced it, I said, Father, forgive him. It doesn't take away the pain, the irritation, but Father, forgive him. Three o'clock in the morning, I wake up with a sweat because, man, the fighter in me wants to come out. And I'm imagining him. What happens if I came from the coffee shop and I walked into my office and I met him? And then I had to ask God for forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord, for I know not what I'm doing in my imagination. <laughs> but can you believe Jesus of every single thing that he had just gone through? Father, forgive them. Mostly around the religious at that time. Forgive them. Forgive them. Why? Because forgiveness is who he is. But you know, friends, that uttering of Jesus... Will that come true for every single person that's had an opportunity? You see, forgiveness has been made available for every single one of us for what Jesus did on the cross for you and I. The innocent one becoming guilty, being punished, and receiving the full brunt and the demand of the law. So you and I can go free. But forgiveness has to have a response. You and I need to choose. God's not going to ever force us. He's never ever going to override your will for you to be saved or for you to come to Him, for you to receive forgiveness. It has to be reciprocal. It has to be a response. There has to, be, there has to come a place in our lives that we go, I receive your forgiveness, Jesus. That you see that you need a Savior in that moment because He is forgiveness. You need to believe the choice is yours. Reconciliation, the bridge of re reconciliation has been built. But he's not going to walk across that and drag you across that bridge so you can meet the Father. He did what he did so you and I can meet the Father. The second thing, he was hanging on the cross and he's got a murderer on his one side and he's got a thief on the other side. And the one man is taunting him. The one man is asking him serious questions and is mocking him. 
And the other man is watching. He's looking at Jesus. He's heard this statement come out of Jesus' mouth. And he says, Jesus, remember me. And in that moment, Jesus looks to him and he says, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. That's in Luke 23, verse 43. He looks at him. He says, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. He hadn't had the good works package done. He hadn't been water baptized. He hadn't been a follower of Jesus. Why? Because salvation has nothing to do with your and my good works to attempt to receive salvation. He leans towards you and he says, today. You see, friends, I don't know where you are this morning as you come into this building. You might have felt given up on by society, your family, friends, in loneliness and depression. You might not have hope. But can you in this moment go, Jesus, remember me? Because Jesus' response in this moment is today, I can fill you with paradise. Today, I can invest my life in you that you can be born again and that you can experience his life and his love for you as an individual again. Hosea 14.2 says, Take your words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins, receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. You see, friends, grace, the fruit of grace is always thanksgiving. If there's not thanksgiving pouring out, our, pouring out of our heart, we haven't truly experienced grace. You see, grace in its unmerited favor, this man, he had nothing deserving of salvation. He turned to him and he said, Jesus, remember me. You see, Jesus is looking for your heart. First and foremost, he's looking for your heart. He's looking for your soul. He's looking for your mind. He's looking for who you really are. He's not looking for all of those things that you are presently doing for him to try and receive salvation if you're in that place this morning seeking him. He's just looking for your heart. The third thing, he looks down, battered, bruised. You look at the passion, maybe a glimpse of what Jesus really looked like. But Isaiah says he was unrecognizable, marred beyond any recognition. He looks down to Mary and he says, woman, here is your son. He looks to John, he says, son, here is your mother in John 19 verse 26. You see, Jesus' intention was never to leave anybody outside of family. So friends, he has a challenge today. Because family looks after family. You see, in the church, often we get criticized and, and for our lack of being family, just because of the, the lack of time that we have to meet everybody. But you know what? God has given you a biological family. He's given you an immediate family. And you know what? People usually say family is the hardest. But let me tell you, when Andrew saw a change in his brother's life, he ran to Jesus. You see, if we've got a testimony of something that has changed in our lives, it can change somebody else's life. Because here's the reality. Our family, what they're looking for, is they're looking for your acceptance. They're looking for your approval. They're looking for your, your love. They're looking for your forgiveness. 
And I know family at these times is tough friends, but you know what? Jesus, his mom, now has a son. And he says to his son, now look after my mother. I want to say to us today, don't make the power of the cross and his shed blood nothing. You can be free today and you can be powerful today. You can extend forgiveness. You can extend grace even if it doesn't come back to you. You know, friends, often people say to me in, in relational conflict, oh, that pe person is reaping what they sowed. Your parents might have sowed destruction into your life. So they're reaping what they sowed. But you know what? In Christ, you and I have the ability to shortcut that reaping process because of our posture in Christ. If Christ didn't do what he did, you and I would have reaped an eternity apart from God. You see, friends, here's the challenge. It's one thing to receive everything from him. But it's another thing, then in turn, to have a changed heart and to put that forward. You know what? You might come up against rejection. You might come up against someone blaming you. But friends, you have the opportunity to posture your heart this day, this reminder, these moments to go and do the same. You don't have to lay your life down, but you can lay your pride down. You can uh, lay the blame shift down. You see, because heaven looks like family. And you and I have been included into the Trinity, into his family. And you and I had nothing to do with that because God in Christ reconciled the world back to himself, not counting our sins against him. You see, God made a covenant with Jesus. Because it would be unbreakable when you and I become the inheritors of that covenant. Mark 15, verse 34. The fourth thing that Jesus said, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine for a moment... Not being separated from love. Not being separated from a divine romance. Not being separated from complete wholeness, complete satisfaction, complete perfection. And in that moment, he goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now in the garden, he made that moment. He made a moment and he had the choice. He said, God, if this cup can pass from me, let it be, but not my will. Let your will be done. But in this moment, the decision that he made was in full manifestation of pain, brokenness. God, why have you forsaken me? Because why, friends, it's a great exchange. He was forsaken that you can be redeemed. And it says this in Isaiah 54 verse 7, it says, for a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I'll bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I'll have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. He was forsaken, that we can be redeemed. He was rejected, that we can be accepted. He was abandoned, that we can be adopted. 
He was broken that we can experience wholeness. He was punished that we can be set free. He was made guilty that we can walk away innocent. He took upon our sinfulness that we can take upon his righteousness. See, the law had its demands met in Christ so that I can receive the righteousness of God as a gift. You see, righteousness did not come cheap. The way you and I can stand before the Father is because of the gift of righteousness which does not come cheap. You can't pay for righteousness. You can't earn righteousness. You have to receive it as a gift. And if you see rightly what Christ has done, you will take that gift and you will honor that gift with your life. Innocence himself took the guilt of the world upon himself and was judged and punished by the laws and the demands and the requirements thereof. The fifth thing that Jesus said in John 19 verse 28, he says, I thirst. His thirst was never going to be quenched by vinegar wine. Has anybody had wine here before? You can lift up your hand. <laughs> it's not a sin. The Bible says being drunk on wine is a sin. Has anybody had wine here, please, this morning? Thank you. Has anybody here had off wine that tastes like vinegar? Okay, it's disgusting. You don't want it, you throw it out immediately. That's what they put into Jesus' mouth. It was more vinegar than it was wine. It was never going to quench his thirst. His thirst was withheld that our thirst will never be withheld. His thirst was never going to be quenched, so we can always be quenched. Listen to what Jesus said. As a prophetic declaration in John 4, he said, Jesus answered, John 4 verse 13, Everyone who drinks this water will never be thirsty again. John 4 14, But whoever drinks this water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 7 verse 37, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. If you're dry, if you're thirsty, the promise, if you come to Jesus, is that you'll never thirst again. Number six, Jesus, he says this word, it is finished. In that moment, Skies are dark. There's about, an earthquake is about to happen. He says these words, it is finished. John 19 verse 30. What was finished? In 1 John 2 verse 2 it says this, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He made provision. And He broke the power of sin over the whole world. Does that mean that everybody became born again? No. We need to choose. We need to respond. We need to believe. We need to make Him Lord. But He made provision. 
in that moment. That word propitiation means the satisfaction. The satisfaction and the law is now satisfied. The Father is now satisfied. Every requirement, every I dotted, every T crossed, every moment, every millisecond, every righteous requirement that the law demanded, Jesus fulfilled. Psalm 103 verse 2. What is finished? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and I forget not all his benefits, who forgives all my iniquity, who heals all my diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Psalm 85, 10, it says, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Can you get a picture of all the law and the righteous requirements of the law standing before Christ as judge. And the Prince of Peace walks up to it and kisses it and satisfies. His kiss, his kiss of death, satisfied the righteous requirements of the law. That's why the Bible said the Father hid his face but for a moment but with everlasting compassion, I'll return you. Because the Prince of Peace, Shalom himself, kissed. He kissed it and he satisfied it. And then the last thing before he gave up his spirit, he said this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In Luke 23 verse 46. Father, into your hands I commit my, my spirit. You see, people say that Jesus was murdered. That Jesus, his life was taken from him. But this is what the Bible says in John. It says, I am, verse 11, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in the sheep pen. I must bring them in also. That's our responsibility now. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. One, one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me. No one takes it from me. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Friends, seven things on the cross as we study the life of Christ. Seven things. There is a great exchange that takes place. As He's committed His Spirit into the Father's hands, you and I with confidence based around what Christ has done can commit our spirits into Jesus' hands. Why, friends? 
Because He comes and lives and abides and resides in you. When you give your life to Jesus, not only does He take out of you sinfulness, give you righteousness, but the Bible says He'll give you the very promise of the Holy Spirit. See, the, the blessing given to Abraham, righteousness by faith, we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, today, spirit, spiritual death is the one thing that we need to be most concerned about. He can make you spiritually alive. He can change your life. And give you hope and a future. Not only are you forgiven, not only do you receive eternal life, but He changes your nature that the Spirit of God can come and live and abide in you. Now, won't you stand together with me this morning? And those who are believers in their house, can you, you just pray in this moment? Friends, if you come into this place this morning and you've never met Jesus, you've never experienced salvation, you've never experienced forgiveness, you've never known the reason why, I hope I've communicated effectively today that you can know the why. That Jesus, the innocent one, perfect, perfect innocent land, kissed you, a guilty one, in love. The Bible says this in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. In Romans 10 verse 9 it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As a body, let's pray together with our friends. The Bible says that we're going to confess Jesus as Lord. We're going to believe in our heart unto righteousness this morning. And your confession of Jesus, salvation comes. So as a body this morning, let's pray together. Can you pray after me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for Jesus. I want to thank you for your love. And it came in a man. And his name's Jesus. Your intention to have me as a son, to have me as a daughter, to have me in the family of God. Today, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you died as my son. Today, I say you are my Lord and my Savior and my righteousness. I give my life to you. Save me. Redeem me. And call me as your own. I come home today. To the Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Please.